Well, we are in a series studying the letter of Galatians, and today I want to speak to you on the topic, own your identity. Just own it. Own your identity. Is this service ready to receive from the word of God? I feel like you are. I feel like the last service was kind of ready to receive. And so they kind of received. This service is totally ready. And so I think God has something totally amazing for you. We have a lot of people in our country, a lot of people that you know who have an identity crisis. They're struggling to figure out who am I? What is my purpose? Maybe you came to church today with a friend and you were invited. You don't know that much about Christianity or the Bible and you were nervous. You weren't really sure. And this letter by uh, Paul um, was written to the churches in Galatia. And what that means is that he wrote letters to churches and he was trying to encourage them and he would teach them and he would correct false teaching. Maybe you don't know Paul very well, this guy who wrote so much of the New Testament. Maybe you don't know Peter from Paul, as the saying goes. But today we're going to talk about him a little bit because I think that as you get to know him, it's going to help you know yourself and understand your identity in Jesus Christ. So we'll go to Galatians chapter one, starting in verse 11. It says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. That's the difference Paul is saying. This gospel message I preach did not come from a human being. This gospel message, Paul was going around, he was preaching the good news. That's what gospel means. And this good news was life-changing, and it is life-changing for everybody that hears it. It says that we're all sinners. We fall short of God's standard of righteousness. We cannot do anything to save ourselves, but that God came to earth in human form and his name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life as he walked on this earth and he died on the sinner's cross, even though he was innocent in our place to pay our debt, which we owe to God so that we could receive God's forgiveness, which we don't deserve. And then what's even better is we can be adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters because Jesus is alive. He did not stay dead, he rose again. So Paul would teach people this message and they heard it and there was a lot of doubters, there were a lot of haters, and there were people that were going around and they were trying to confuse the church. One group we talked about last week was called the Judaizers. They wanted the Christians to follow the old Jewish customs and they said, it's not good enough to just believe in Jesus, you also need to follow these customs. So Paul called them Judaizers. He said, we don't want you listening to those guys. We want you to understand the true gospel message. This is a message from God. Paul says, I received it directly from Jesus Christ. It's not an an invention, he said. I didn't make this up. You may have thought, you know, man, Christianity is just a bunch of made up nonsense. But Paul says, I didn't make this up. It's not something that I fabricated. He says, it's not a tradition that I imitated. This is not just something that I saw my my mom and my dad and my grandpa do, and so I'm copying what I saw, and I I don't know. Maybe you think that. Maybe you think, well, these people are only Christians because their family is, and that's what they learned growing up. Paul said, it's not instruction that I was taught. I was not educated in this, and it was not something that I just assimilated into my life. Maybe you think that he just, he just learned this from somebody. And maybe you have Christian friends. You think, well, they just went to a Christian school. They went to Sunday school. Their, their pastor taught them. And so that's why they're there. That's not 
where this message came from. Paul says, it was a revelation. I received it directly from Jesus, who God revealed to me, who died and rose again. This is a revelation, and it's life-changing. Now, it's safe to say that Paul's message about Jesus Christ dying for our sins and rising again, this is a very bold claim, is it not? I mean, this is not normal uh, human behavior to, to die and come back to life. That just doesn't really happen. Usually, usually people who are dead stay dead, okay? So Paul's bold claim is either totally insane or we have to consider the option that it's totally true. And I think that there are a lot of evidences that it's true. First, I think one of the greatest evidence is how unique the gospel message is. All the other religions of the world really have so much in common. They're all actually teaching the same thing. Every other religion, you know that? They're all teaching that you can work and earn God's favor. You can earn your way to God. You can earn his salvation. You can earn his love if you do good things, if you follow a set of codes, if you go on the right missionary trip, God will then love you. And if you can do those things, then you're gonna earn it. That's what they all ultimately teach. This message stands alone. It's entirely different. One of these things is not like the other, amen? Paul says we're only saved by grace. It's not something that we can earn. In fact, you don't even do anything to earn it other than just, you just believe. You can't earn it. He's, it's completely different. Now, as a human being, you got to look at that and say, man, no human, no man could have come up with that thinking. No, this is not an idea that a man came up with. Like, I know men, um, I am one, and I know that we have a tendency to want to achieve great things. We want to be able to say, look at my trophy case. Not to brag, but I'm a pretty big deal. And that's what all the other religions of the world say. Not to brag, but I earned God's love. But here's this unique message which says, hey, we can't earn it. We just receive it. In fact, if you try to earn it, then you don't understand the true gospel message. And that's what's so different between us and what all these other religions of the world teach. And I know maybe if you've been coming to this church the last few weeks, you've heard me talk about some other religions. Maybe it bothers you, makes you uncomfortable that we talk about some other religions that are what I would call false religions. And you know that some people will say, man, I I wish we didn't talk bad about these other religions, you know, like, like this is, this, this is just focus on what we've got. Let's just focus on the good. We don't need to talk about, about them being bad, you know, like let's not be negative. But I, in fact, I would tell you that these false religions, these other ways of thinking are very, very destructive. In fact, the Bible says that God hates a false witness. Do you know that? You know that God hates things. He hates injustice. He hates immorality. He hates sin. He hates a false witness. He hates people that abuse children. He hates sexual perversion. The Bible says this. Read Proverbs chapter 6. Well, you think, well, God is love. How can God hate? That's because God hates, he hates anything that is contradictory to his nature. And so he hates sin. Don't be mistaken. If you're dead in sin, you are on the receiving end of a future destruction and God's wrath. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that God sent his son to die to save people who were his enemies, people who were dead in sin? This is God's love. God loves the people, the people who don't deserve 
his love. And don't be mistaken that God hates false religion because he knows what we see in scripture, that false religion, they are lies concocted in the pit of hell by Satan to deceive people and lead them into destruction. That's why it's so important to know the truth. It's not just like one good option among many. It's not like there's a bunch of good religions and we just happen to have the best one. There is truth and there is destruction. Those are your choices. Now, what's so unique about Christianity and what we see in the Bible is our religious leaders, our, if you want to call them that, our Christian, these disciples, these apostles, like guys like Paul, they're so different than all of the other world religion leaders that are out there. All the religious leaders of the world, they kind of try to act righteous and, and look holy. And these guys go around, even though if you read history, you see that they were just regular guys. They're just regular dudes. A lot of them were bad guys. And yet people kind of turned them into these like holy men. Like the guy who founded Scientology, Rob Hubbard, he was a science fiction writer. And then one day he wrote this crazy story and he was like, I'm going to turn this into a religion. <laughs> and people were deceived. Look at Muhammad. Muslims talk about Muhammad being this great holy prophet. They don't talk about him raping women and children. If you read history, that's what happened. People talk about Joseph Smith being this holy guy. And just a couple years ago, the Mormon church admitted that he had 30 to 40 wives, some of whom were already married to other men. His youngest wife was 14. Not really good guys. But then you'll see that these false religions, they try to cover it up and they try to do what men do and say, no, no, they're good guys. Look how righteous they are. Look how holy they acted. This, what the Bible says is very different. That's not what you see with Paul. He goes the opposite route and he goes, I am a terrible person. Is there anybody here that would say like, my life is pretty jacked up. <laughs> Welcome home. You've come to the right place. Here's what Paul says in verse 13. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. I was terrible. It was like how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. He says, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He goes, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's what it says in one translation. I was hardcore in my following of Judaism. I was zealous in my focus. All my passion and zeal was aimed at one mission, destroying what Jesus came to establish. His purpose, his mission, his goal was to stomp out Christianity at its roots, to destroy the church and prevent people coming to know Jesus Christ. He was committed to legalism. He was, he was a traditions guy. And I like traditions. Um, I, I think traditions are nice, family traditions, holiday traditions. But when tradition takes priority over people and love, it becomes legalism. And that's what you see with Paul. He was a legalist. He saw the Old Testament law, which had a lot of great stuff in it, but he made the, the law more important than the people that God loved and gave the law to to protect. And he became a legalist and legalism literally kills. It kills your joy. It kills people, sometimes literally, like with Paul. It's so amazing how he just owns this. He says, you know what I was like back before I knew Jesus. I was a killer. I was a Christian assassin. This is what Christians do. We, we actually don't shy away from talking about our messy past. We own it. 
That's what we do. You just own it as a part of your identity. And we'll talk about how that is and how you can do that and not feel shame. But look at how the Bible talks about the weakness of our founding fathers, if you want to call them that. These men who Jesus called to him and taught. Matthew, the tax collector who cheated his own people out of money, a total betrayer. You got Peter, the uneducated fisherman with a temper problem, going around cutting people's ears off with swords. Not even a good guy. And you got doubting Thomas, one of the 12 disciples. Every time Jesus was trying to do something great, he's there, I don't believe this. How terrible would it be to be named Doubting Thomas and everybody knows you and associates your name with a sin, right? When that would be terrible, like poor guy. You're going to meet him in heaven. He's going to be like, just Thomas, please. (laughs) But we just own it because in the Bible, we don't try to edit out and skip over the humanity of people. We see, we acknowledge that we are sinners who are only saved by God's grace. We look and we say, you know, I was jacked up. I was a terrible person and I did not fix myself. I did not go to a a self-help guru at a Tony Robbins seminar. I didn't read Oprah's book, The Secret. There is no secret other than the book is terrible. I didn't start volunteering and then feel really good about myself. I did not go and find myself. If you find yourself, you're not going to like what you find. Instead, we say, I was lost and Jesus found me. He transformed me. It's not anything I can explain, but I'm living it. I'm different. But here's what Paul says. This is how he, he owns his identity. He says, I was a terrible person. And in verse 15, he goes on to say this. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That's so amazing. This guy, Paul, he was zealous. He wanted to kill the church. He wanted to kill Christians and arrest them. This legalism which kills, has been replaced in his life by grace, which transforms and heals a sinful heart. He's talking about how God, in his grace, chose him and called him. Then he said, God revealed to me. He he showed me the truth. He showed me Jesus. And now he has sent me. He's sent me out to preach, to teach about Jesus, this good news. That's something I want to focus on today. I want to talk about our identity. Paul, he really just owns his identity, that God chose him and called him and showed him and sent him. I want you to know your identity. I want you to own your identity. And as you do, you're going to discover that you have a confidence that comes through Jesus, a confidence that can only come as you live your life in God's grace. Here's what... Paul says in another letter called the letter of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, he kind of repeats somewhat what he said in Galatians. Kind of says it a different way. He says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. We're the spiritual brothers and sisters of Jesus, who's the son of God. We're his adopted brothers and sisters. Isn't that great? And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. 
And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. This is what's so unique about Christianity. All the other religions of the world which say you can earn God's love lead to pride. Saying, look at what I've done. We are righteous. We have earned it. Christianity, on the other hand, which says you're only saved by grace, leads not to pride, but to confidence. A God-inspired confidence, which says, I'm saved by grace, and I didn't earn it. And because I didn't earn it, I don't have to worry about keeping it through good works. And when I fall, when I make mistakes, I'm still favored. I'm still saved by grace. I'm not someone who earned God's love. I'm not this person who God's mad at. I'm a child of God. I have confidence as a child because God loves me. You think about how your, your parents loved you when you were growing up. I hope you had loving parents. No child has ever questioned the love and the favor of their parents. When a parent comes along and gives a child a good gift, the kid never says like, oh, you shouldn't give me too many gifts, right? Otherwise I'll be spoiled. They're just like, thank you, may I have another? (laughs) And that's really what we struggle with as Christians. We tend to look at grace and we say, well, you can't teach about grace too much or else people will think that they can just get away with stuff. But that's not how a child thinks, right? A Christian who's a child of God just says, man, God loves me. And on tomorrow comes, he's going to love me. And on Wednesday, I'm going to mess up, but he's going to love me. And people will say, well, don't, don't focus on that grace too much. Otherwise, you won't really feel bad about the things that you did. And it's like, well, I'll, I'm really focused on the fact that God loves me. And then on Thursday, he's going to love me. And then I'm going to go to church next week. And even though I'm still wrestling with some things, I'm still kind of, you know, sinful at times. I'm working on it. But I know that God loves me because I'm saved by grace. And then you have this confidence that sets into your life. It changes your perspective and you don't need other people's approval in the same way because you know your identity. Here's what Paul said. He said, God chose me. So repeat after me. I am chosen. He says, even before I was born, God chose me. It's terrible to not be chosen, isn't it? Do you remember uh, growing up in in elementary school and you go out to recess and you pick teams for maybe kickball or whatever it is that you did. And then, you know, they start to pick people, but nobody's picking you. And then it comes down to like a smaller and smaller group of people. And then it's just me and the kid that like, he doesn't even like, and then like, they still pick you last. And you just think, man, I must really be worthless. Or maybe you like some girl in high school and another guy liked her and you're like, I hope she picks me, but she didn't pick you. She picked him. It's terrible not to be chosen. Think about what God has done in advance. Before you were a twinkle in your father's eye, God chose you. God knew that at such a such season in your life, you were going to go through a really rough time. Some of you lived a crazy, rebellious teenage life, right? Making some terrible decisions. In advance, before you were born, God knew that would happen and he still chose you. Some of you abused someone. Some of you went to prison. Some of you struggled with addiction. And yet, knowing that that would happen, God chose you before you were even born. This is an entire shift in our perspective that comes, understanding that, 
we've been chosen. Now, some translations of the Bible in that verse we read, Romans chapter 8, will say God foreknew us and he predestined us to become like his son. And a lot of times people get caught up in those phrases. What does that mean that he foreknew us and predestined us? And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard people talk about predestination and free will. And they debate about theology. They say, well, were we predestined or do we have free will? And I would say, yes. It's not as complicated as people try to make it, actually. Because more than one thing can be true at the same time, right? You might ask, is Generation Church a passionate church or a loving church? And I would say, yes. Well, or, or is it a generous church? And yes, again, right? More than one thing can be true at the same time. So God, he chose you in advance. And you also have free will. The way that I could choose in advance that I'm going to come to you this week. I'm going to give you a gift. I have it wrapped up. It's nice. It's pretty. You're going to love it. And I can hand it to you, but you've got to choose to open it and enjoy it. I can choose you to be on my kickball team, but you've got to choose to play. God chose you in advance and you have a free will. You get to respond to him. I love that he chose us. It's not that complicated. He knew you before you were born. He saw you and he liked what he saw. Because he liked it, he put a ring on it. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, he sent Jesus. <laughs> it's not that confusing when we people debate about theology. And it gets confusing because men, they like to try to categorize things. We like to try to understand things. We don't want to know that we're saved. We want to know how we were saved. Not just that Jesus died on the cross, but how did he apply the blood on the cross to my sins? And if he knew me, does that mean I had a free will? And they get all worked up trying to figure out every little minutia detail of how you assemble the Ikea furniture instead of just enjoying the gift that God has given you. The good news is that we don't have to save anybody, so we don't have to understand every aspect of how it works. The good news is when you look at this situation, that there are aspects of Christianity and our relationship with God that we cannot fully comprehend and understand, it's actually further proof that this message came not from a man, but from God. Because no human being would create a religion they couldn't even explain fully. Right? That's not what men do. We want to know. We want to achieve and understand. But this did not come from men. You have to understand this about your identity. Because you were chosen, you have value. You have value. And maybe you have never felt valuable. Maybe someone left you and abandoned you. Maybe someone broke up with you. Maybe your company laid you off. Maybe people weren't buying what you were selling. Maybe your dad chose to leave when you were growing up but your father in heaven chose to stay. And he chose you even when you left him. He was there ready for you to come back to him. In fact, he was calling you back to him this whole time. He was pursuing you, waiting for the day that you would surrender your life to him because you're valuable. When God looks at you, he sees a precious possession, not based on how you look, not based on how you feel when you step on the scale or look in the mirror, not based on your income level or what's on your W-2 statement. You're valuable to him because he chose you. Here's what Paul said, God called me. So repeat after me, I am called. You are called by grace. Saul was the name of Paul. Talk about a guy with an identity crisis. He had a different name and Jesus changed his name. I think that'd be kind of fun to do when you join the church, right? Like you go to 
G101. You're like, hey, I'm Tom. Hey, I'm Ryan. For now on, you shall be known as Jacob. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? But God can change people's names. He can because he changes people. So it's just kind of what he does. He does it all throughout scripture. You just go with it. Saul, he was riding to a city called Damascus on his way there to persecute, Jew, or to persecute Christians, to try to, to arrest them, and to hurt them. And Jesus showed up. He's riding on his horsey and Jesus appears out of the middle of nowhere, oh, knocks him off his horse. He's actually blinded by the light. That's where that song came from. And Jesus is like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this was a real come to Jesus moment for Saul. <laughs> He's like, man, I probably shouldn't keep doing this. It appears you happen to be real. And it changed him. First, we know that he was, he was literally physically blinded for three days and then he went and he found this guy in Ananias and he prayed and the scales fell off his eyes. And he was at that moment transformed. He was saved. He could see clearly now that sin was gone. I got jokes for days. He was called by God and that's what happened to him. Jesus actually showed up on the road and knocked him off his horse. And that's what happens to us. You were probably going through life and something happened. And maybe Jesus did not physically appear to you as you were driving through the intersection of Southern and Ellsworth. But the Holy Spirit did show up in your life and he intersected with you at some point. And he caught you maybe off guard. Maybe it was what you were looking for. And when you found it, you knew this is what I've been looking for. This is what the Holy Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He calls us, that means he comes to us they call this in theology, preceding grace, that God, he comes to us in grace to intervene. He does not just leave us to help, to kind of find our way to him. Some people will say, I found God. What happened, man? You changed. Well, I found God. And understand that scripturally and theologically, you did not find God. God found you. The Holy Spirit came and opened your heart to him. And the Holy Spirit is so good. He knows exactly what you need. And the Holy Spirit came into your life in different ways based on what you need. If you had a hard heart, he broke it. If you had a prideful heart, he humbled it. If you had an empty heart, he filled it. And if you had a broken heart, he healed it. Because his grace is sufficient for all your needs according to his riches and glory. And when you met Jesus, when you met the Holy Spirit and he brought you to Jesus, it's like breathing for the first time, but you didn't realize you had been holding your breath your whole life. Understand this about your identity. Because you were called, you have right standing. This is what he said. Those who are called have right standing with him. That's, that's what we received because we were called. We became part of his family. He drew us into himself. He changed us. And this means to have right standing that we are no longer guilty in God's eyes. Maybe you feel guilty at times, even, even though you've been coming to a church, or even though you became a Christian, you're going around, you're like, hey, I'm a Christian now, but you still feel guilty. You do not understand grace. When you understand your identity, that you've been saved by grace and who you are in Christ, there is no room for guilt in your life any longer. The Holy Spirit does bring conviction at times and he shows us where we are wrong, where we're off. He convicts our hearts and we go, oh man, I, I am wrong. I feel, 
I feel regret that I've made that choice, but I know that God is calling me to a higher level and a better place. Conviction is different than guilt. Guilt says you don't deserve it. You're dead to God. He doesn't love you. He could never love you. No one could ever love you. You're not worthy. But there's no room for guilt in your life because through Jesus, you have right standing. The theological term for this is justification. People have a hard time remembering this phrase, justification, and what it means. But just think about how we use this word in our language. If someone's making excuses for themselves, you'll say, stop trying to justify yourself. Stop trying to get yourself off the hook. Well, that's what justification is. Jesus got us off the hook. He gave us right standing in God's eyes. And I think I lived out one of the greatest examples of justification that any human being maybe has ever lived out. If you've been going to this church for a little while, you might've heard me tell a story about how I was a student at Arizona State University and I was getting great grades. I had an academic scholarship. I was in ROTC. I was gonna graduate and become an officer in the army in just a few months. And I had a little, let's call it misunderstanding. I found myself in trouble all of a sudden. And I, about to graduate in a few months, was facing expulsion. I was labeled an enemy of the state, a threat to student safety. I was not allowed to come back on the campus. They were gonna expel me. The professor of military science, he ran the ROTC department, his name was Colonel McIntosh, still love him to this day. He went to the Dean of Student Life and he said, you gotta, give this guy mercy. And he tried to, you know, explain. It was a misunderstanding. He's a great kid and everything. And the, the dean of student life, she was in charge of discipline. And she said, you know, this has happened a few other times and all those people have gotten expelled, but we'll let Ryan graduate. He can't come back on campus though. He's got to take his tests, you know, online. He can't come back on campus. Enemy of the state. That's how I felt. I was persona non grata. Not welcomed. <laughs> right? Not in good standing at all. And then something crazy happened because I was a student getting punished by the student code of conduct, right? And one day I graduated and on that day I was no longer a student. I was just Ryan. And now I'm thinking, you can take your code of conduct and stick it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> your rules don't apply to me anymore. I am no longer subject to your discipline, like, and it was kind of weird. It was like one day I'm in trouble and I'm, I'm like ashamed. And the next day I'm like completely off the hook. But then it gets even better, right? Because that's like mercy right there. You deserve punishment, but you got let off the hook. This is where justification comes into play. The next day, because I had a job to do with the military science department, I got technically, I became a faculty member of the school. <laughs> and where... I wasn't elite, even allowed to come on campus on one day. The next day, I'm walking out of the student union with my faculty ID card. And they gave me a faculty parking pass, which cost like a million dollars. And I had special privileges, right? I realized the other day, like, this is a perfect picture of justification and what God does to us. One day, we were enemies of God and dead in sin. And not only did Jesus get us off the hook, but he, we were adopted into God's family through him, and we received favor as God's children. We went from being punished to privileged through Jesus. Our standing has changed because we were called and we received his grace. Here's what Paul says next. He revealed his son to me. He showed me the truth. So repeat after me. I am enlightened. You are so enlightened. 
right? Like think of great philosophers and we look at them and we think, wow, how enlightened they are. You as a Christian are in fact the most enlightened people in the world. You're the most enlightened people. You were spiritually blind and in darkness, the Bible says, and Jesus came and he actually showed you the light. He actually brought light into the darkness. He says in John chapter eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. If you have Jesus, you have received the light that leads to life. You are enlightened. That's what happened to Saul. He's riding along and Jesus showed up. The light went everywhere, changed his life. He had a whole new understanding of who God was and who Jesus was. As a person who is enlightened, now you see things that you couldn't see before, right? Before you just couldn't understand, why are all those Christians so weird and so happy up in church, raising their hands, singing about God? What are they doing? And then you lived it out yourself. And you're like, oh, I have been enlightened. I've seen what Jesus does in your life. I, I, cha- I felt the change. I, I've seen how my, my desires have changed. And that doesn't mean that you're going to understand every single thing about Christianity. You're not going to understand every single thing you read in the Bible right away, maybe. But the Holy Spirit, he will continue to further enlighten you in your understanding about God and who he is and what your, plan, your purpose is in God's plan. He's going to continue to enlighten you. You might not always understand everything. You might even have doubts at times. <gasps> can we admit that? Yes, we can. There's a disciple named Doubting Thomas. <laughs> right? This is for a purpose so that we know like, oh, this is normal. Like, it's, it's, it's okay, actually. I can ask questions. There's not going to be a question I ask the pastor is hoping I won't ask. I'm hoping you'll ask the hard questions. It means you're caring and you're looking for answers and you want to understand. There is nothing hidden here. We don't have a secret set of scriptures that we don't want you to find out about. I'm giving you the Bible. We want you to have a Bible. We'll give you one if you don't have one. We're like, please read it. Ask the questions. Learn for yourself. Don't rely on a pastor to teach you, but it's okay if you have doubts. It's okay if you go through seasons where you don't clearly understand. And and I want to encourage you, if you are wrestling at times with some doubts or or you don't understand, to seek the truth. Be a person who seeks the truth. Don't be smart enough to ask a good question, but not be smart enough to seek out the true answer. Some people, they think they're real smart because they saw a special on the Discovery Channel. Well, I saw a scientist, and he said that there is no God. So... And it's like, well, maybe you should go and seek the truth out for yourself. That's what God has invited you to do. And the Bible says that God does not hide himself from those who are called to him. If you seek him, you will find him. You've been enlightened. You've been enlightened. That means you've received the ability to see the truth. And that means that you have the answer. Because you were enlightened, you have the answer. That's what I want you to understand about your identity. Look at what happened with Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 21 through 22, it said Saul, who had become Paul now as we know him, at the time he was still known as Saul, all who heard him were amazed. 
Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Paul, he had an education in the Old Testament scriptures that you would not believe. He probably had theologians believe, memorized the first five books of the Bible, which was common for a lot of the Pharisees. We can't even remember like two Bible verses. They remembered many, many books, a lot of scripture. He was super educated. He was one of the most hardcore Jews that you would have found. And once he encountered Jesus and became enlightened, now he was using his understanding of scripture and the truth to show other people the answer that Jesus Christ really was the Messiah. Because you were enlightened, you have the answer that people are looking for. Everyone is searching for truth. Everyone is looking for hope. Everyone has questions about what's the meaning of my life? What happens when I die? Why am I here? You have the answer because you have been enlightened to what God says is true in his word. Here's the next thing Paul says. He says that God sent me. He sent me to preach to the Gentiles. So repeat after me one last time. I am sent. You've been sent the way that Paul was sent to proclaim the truth and to teach the gospel. Now, maybe that makes you nervous, but understand here, Paul, he was, he was sent with authority by Jesus himself to go and preach the gospel. And you have the same authority as a Christian to go and declare what is true. You have authority, and that is, in fact, your mission, to go and reach people. And, and, and this is an important thing to understand, what your mission is, because we're all kind of trying to figure out what, what our mission is. What's our mission for life? What's my purpose? That's why one of the best-selling books in the world is the purpose-driven life. Over 40 million copies sold. One of the most best, uh, the best-selling books other than the Bible is the purpose-driven life because people want to know, what is my purpose? That's because we're made in the image of God and God is on a mission. We want to know, what's my mission? Here's what I want you to understand about your identity. Because you were sent, you have a purpose. Your life has a purpose. You might have recently retired, and now you're wondering, what am I supposed to do with myself? What's my purpose now? You might have felt stuck in your job, not liking where you're at, not satisfied with your progress. Maybe you feel like you're doing something for a living that you're not really called to do, and it feels unsatisfying. Well, I want you to think about the people who do have the highest level of job satisfaction. Teachers, policemen, firemen. Nurses, maybe soldiers, definitely not politicians. (laughs) These people that have high levels of job satisfaction, what do they do? They help people. Well, here's a way that you can discover a whole new level of satisfaction for your life is to truly embrace your identity and your real purpose, which is to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. What you do for a living is secondary to that. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a CEO, your first purpose is to preach the gospel with your life. What does that mean? Okay, that's where people go, sounds good, pastor, amen. What does that mean exactly? 
Because maybe you're thinking, you know, I can't get up in front of people and preach. I'm nervous in front of crowds. I cannot sing on stage. I don't have a good voice. And some of you don't, but some of you do. Maybe you're like, I, I, I'm not really good at this. I don't have enough time to serve in the nursery. I'm a CEO and I'm busy and I can barely get to church for an hour. So what is my purpose? How do I reach people? And, and I just think that we have to understand we all have different gifts and we all have a different part to play. Think about what the Bible says about the church. He, they, the Bible calls it the body of Christ, right? And bodies have different body parts. I'm not really teaching you anything you don't know. Bodies have heads, and I think how some people, you're logical and you're good at organizing things and seeing systems and putting things in the right place and thinking through problems. And, and you can use that gifting to reach people. Bodies have hearts. And some of you are like the heart of the church and you remind us about people and what matters and you're compassionate and you're loving and you help remind all the heads that it's really about the people, right? Some of you are the hands I think of. I think of the people that have unique gifts and talents and they can play the guitar and they can write really well and they can crochet beautiful pictures for Jesus. And then I think about some people are the legs, not the feet, I said the legs. Because I think about when I go to lift weights and what do they always say when you lift up a heavy weight? They say, lift with your legs. The legs are the people that they volunteer, they give their time hour after hour. They're super generous. They have the spiritual gift of giving. So they hear about tithing and they're like, man, that 10% thing, that sounds like a good start. I'm gonna go above and beyond that. As God gives to me, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna make it possible to reach more people with my generosity. I'm gonna give generously of my time. The legs do the heavy lifting. They make it possible to go from point A to point B. You can have all the fancy guys in the world with guitars and skinny jeans. We love those guys. But if you don't have legs, you have no power. We need all people to do what God has called you to do. Maybe you have a mix of giftings and you can contribute in different ways, but you have purpose. Look at what it says next in verse 16. It says about Saul, who has now become Paul, when he got transformed by Jesus, he says, when, I, when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. So this is interesting. Paul's talking now about his salvation and what happened. I think that when you look at his life, it would have been really easy for him to be very insecure and think about how there was these 12 disciples that Jesus spent three years of his life with and he taught him and he trained him and they saw miracles. And now here's Paul, he used to be an enemy of God and he's been transformed and he's like, I didn't even get to hang out with Jesus. But he says, I went away into Arabia, the desert. And for three years, he was away. He was not with Jesus, but he was with God. He was with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit taught him what he needed to know and showed him what he needed to do. And then I think it's so funny that he adds, and I went to Jerusalem and hung out with Peter for 15 days, just to make sure I wasn't like crazy or something, right? But look, he spent three years with God and 15 days with Peter. I think it would have been so easy for him to be insecure the way that so many of us are so insecure. 
even Christians who are and should be the most confident people in the world struggle with insecurity. We question and we question what our value is. We question what our worth is, what our purpose is. And maybe you've been told today that you have a purpose, but you think I'm not qualified for this. I'm not qualified, God can't use me. I'm not good with words. I'm not qualified, I have a broken past. I'm not qualified, you know, I, I don't know all the answers. But do you realize, I think you're more qualified than you think you are. God has already given you what you need and God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He will give you what you need to fulfill your purpose. Satan wants to come and confuse you. God has given you confidence and and Satan will try to trick you with legalism and think, oh, that confidence you feel, that's pridefulness. That's not pridefulness. It's not pridefulness when your confidence comes through Jesus, not yourself. Pride comes from yourself. Confidence comes from Jesus. I want you to repeat after me one more time. I lied. Say, I am qualified. You are qualified to fulfill your purpose. I'm gonna read one more passage. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Shake it out. Here's what Paul wrote. After that, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. Read this with me, okay? All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy and look what they did and they praised God because of me. The people saw me, he said, I was a guy that was trying to destroy the faith of grace, a gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he's there preaching and the people see that and they just had to give God praise. How many of you are here today and you would say, I have a jacked up life. I was struggling with different things, depression and sin and all kinds of things. And now I have been changed by God and I'm here and I'm serving him. And I never would have thought it's possible, but he brought me here and he transformed me. And you realize, man, we're all here together in the same boat. How many of you say, God, he delivered me from something? Anybody here? Anybody say, man, God changed me. You got something that God delivered you from. Because of what God brought you out of, where he's brought you to, now it's your reason to give him praise. You think about that? I think about Paul, he spent several years in the desert. And many of you have gone through a desert season in your life that was dry and empty. It felt difficult, like you were struggling. But I think a lot of times that God uses that desert season to prepare you for what your purpose really is. And that past you have that's messy, all that brokenness and that pain, God does not waste that pain. God plans to take it and use it. And the pain of your past now can become praise in your present. And the pain that you went through in your past is part of how God has prepared you for your future. That purpose that now comes that God has for your life. Man, sometimes people that had the most pain in their past, they have the most reason to praise God today. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads in this moment. And I just wanna give you a moment and an opportunity to accept this gift of grace. We all have to choose to accept what Jesus is trying to give to us. And you can do that today. If you say, man, I, I need him. I realize that I've either had a hard heart or a prideful heart or an empty life or a broken life and I need what Jesus is offering me. I wanna be saved by grace. You can today. 
Just pray this prayer. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you confess, if you, if you acknowledge that God raised him from the dead and that you're trusting him to save you, you will be saved. So you can just pray this prayer. It's not magic, but just believe with me if you're ready today. Just say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again so that I could have eternal life. And now I promise I will give you the rest of my life. I wanna follow you. I wanna love you. I know you have given me a purpose and I claim that purpose. In your name I pray, amen, amen. I just think we gotta give God praise this morning when we think about where he brought us from and where he's leading us to is a reason to be celebrating. It's a reason to be joyful. It doesn't matter the circumstances in your life because you know it's not about what's going on in my life. It's about the life that God has given me and called me to. It's not about what I do on Tuesday. It's about what Jesus has done on the cross. I'm not saved by good deeds. I'm saved by grace, amen? If you're here, will you just lift your voices with me? Let's just give God praise today. We know that he's good. We know that he deserves our praise. We know that he's more powerful than the grave, amen? Uh, 